get too, didn't want to go too far, too, too far into the lesson before we, I remembered to do that because I got reminded by my son last week that we did not dismiss properly from church last Sunday. So we didn't sing the chorus to turn your eyes upon Jesus and he reminded me at bedtime. So sometimes I forget some of those things. This morning's message, I, uh, you know, I've been studying quite a bit with the coronavirus and, and the quarantine and everything that, that has gone on. We've had an increased amount of time, or we should have had an increased amount of time in his word. And, you know, I've tried to be, I tried to be vocal and and present on instagram and and facebook and some of those other platforms partly because that's that's at you know for the last eight weeks that's the only way that you could really do anything you know, as far as people interaction unless you're at work and things like that and so it's provided should have provided us a tremendous opportunity in which to uh, study the word of god and one of the things that that I was thinking about is, is things begin to ease up across the country and, and everything begins to open up. You know, we talked about Second Chronicles chapter 29 and, and, you know, the scripture that was over there a couple weeks ago and preparing and when you come to the house of God and, and when we come together to worship him, you know, the type of attitude and the heart that you have to do that. Uh, you know, what are we, you know, what's our focus? What's our, what's our intent, our purpose, right? And hopefully what we have is a renewed interest in wanting to, to preach and proclaim the gospel, not only in our own homes, obviously first and foremost within the church, but it, it can't stay there. It has to, it has to, it has to be so, so prevalent in our hearts and in our minds that it, that it naturally oozes out of our life into, our, into our, our work relationships, into our communities, into our neighborhoods and things like that. We have to be deliberate about sharing the word of God and, and so in Joshua chapter 5, this is where we're going to start. And this is my, what I call the Joshua generation uh, message. And it is, it is something that, that is, I'm very convinced of, at least from standpoint from our assembly. It is something that, that is a call to an awakening. It's a call to a revival of God's people. It's a call to say, hey, you know, what are we doing? What have we done? And there's going to, I'm going to say some things this morning, probably that you all are going to probably think about, well, you know, he just said that. I mean, yeah, I did. I did just say that because I think that one of the things that, that must be done for all of us is that we must be brutally honest with ourselves so that we can understand from a spiritual standpoint, what God is calling us to do. Obviously we're going to have jobs. We're going to have all these things and you know, all those things are important and we're going to live our lives, but are we living a, a, a focused and purpose-driven life, so to speak, right? Not to use that term, but really to use that term because it is an accurate term to live a purpose-driven life, not as it relates to the book, but as it relates to the Word of God. And so in Joshua chapter 5, we have, it says in verse 1, it says, Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites were by the sea, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. At this time, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself 
flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Harloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people came out of Egypt who were males. All the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord has sworn that he would not let them see the land which the the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been uh, circumcised along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the, of the month of the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on the very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna. But they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. And it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, a man was standing there, standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as a captain of the hosts of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy, and Joshua did so. You know, I look at that, and I look at these scriptures, and I, I, I can't help, at least, and I could speak from, from this Californian's perspective. You take a look around, and I speak from primarily the missionary Baptists, at least my exposure to missionary Baptists, maybe even the circles that we run in, and, and the churches that, that I've grown to know over the years. And I cannot help, and I hopefully you probably can do the same. You cannot help but draw this very similar correlation. For years, we, we, we told ourselves, well, you know, when people leave, they leave the church. There are some people that are born into this, born into this faith, this Baptist faith, and they leave and we say, well, it's because of this or it's because of that. The real question that I ask myself and that you have to be honest with yourself is why were we not the answer? Why was the faith that they were raised in, that they were born into, why was that not the answer? Simply blaming some other outside influence and simply blaming some other thing out there is the equivalent of putting our heads into the sand and not honestly looking at ourselves and go, where did we fail? And also not realizing that there may be a partial judgment for us as his people when those types of things happen. How many times have we heard time and time again where, where churches, people have left assemblies because of the way they were treated there? Look, 
You can say, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do all these things. We got all these rules. You can't dance, you can't do all these things. We got all these rules that we put in place. But we, neg we have come, there have been folks in the work, there have been folks around that have neglected the weightier matters found in the word of God. Justice and mercy, compassion, those kind of things that God and, and his word teaches us. So that we can say, hey, as long as you hit these certain items, right? As long as you hit these punch list items, you're okay. Oh, and by the way, I get to beat you up while you're here. Listen, if, if the church of God, if, if, if his assembly is not a place of refuge and not a safe haven, you may be wanting people to show up, but by our actions, we are driving them away. We spent too many years arguing about the color of the paint on the walls. We spent too many years arguing about first faith, salvation. Listen, at the end of all this, Jesus Christ makes the determination, not you or I. A lot of times we put so much emphasis on first faith. We say, oh, you can't do it. First faith. Oh, no, no, no. Then you say, oh, it's baptism. Oh, no, no, no. Look, it, it ain't over until Christ's return. So if you, if you stop at first faith, well, I don't agree with that. Well, if you stop at baptism, I don't agree with that either. He wants your life. If you stop at first faith, that's just merely the first stop. You stop at baptism, that's just the second stop on the map. It ain't over until the proverbial fat lady sings, right? It ain't over until the good Lord comes back and redeems his people. So we, we spent all this time arguing about the first two stops. And we lost sight of the fact that God's called us to something greater. He's called us to an existence and a life of servitude to him. Stopping at first faith and stopping at baptism, brethren, is stopping short of the goal. Both of which, if you use them in combination with one another, are steps along the path of faith and life that God has called us to. Are they, They're absolutely both fundamental. You need them both. We've got to first believe. We've got to first, and then second, we've got to be baptized. But from there, guess what? It's a lifelong, it's a life given to servitude and, and yielding to his spirit and his power in our lives. It's a lifelong pursuit. There's good days and there's bad days. But we spent so much time arguing about all those things. We've divided the churches in this state. We've divided churches all over this country. Over a fact that you and I do not control. We don't make that final determination. And this is it. This is where you go, well, wait a minute. You look at the numbers. You say, well, you know, it's okay. God's not a God of numbers, right? We've heard that before. God's not a God of numbers. He's not a God of numbers. You're right. He's shown over and over again, time and time again, that he is the one that determines victory in a circumstance or victory in a war. Amen? But he still does require people to show up. But he makes the determination, well, numbers don't matter. They matter when you start shrinking and you're not expanding. When the gospel is stagnant. When you have no conversions in your church. You, we can sit back and go, yeah, you know what? He's not a God of numbers. But if we sit back idly and expect somebody to come in through those doors through osmosis or because, you know, we think that they're just going to walk through there without being deliberate, without spreading the gospel... We are fooling ourselves.
There's a whole generation out there. And we're sitting, you all are sitting out there right now. There, I, I look at it as the remnants of, of the first generation that came out of this. You look at it kind of the parallel because there's still some adults out there that can control it. Our next generation must be mightier and more powerful and more dynamic than us. We, can, we have to learn our lesson from the things that we've done. Look at our churches. Look at our assemblies. Look at us here. We have to look at it and go, we can't continue to exist like this. Because what will happen is we won't exist. Say, so, well, the, the, gates of, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. You're right. It, they won't. But there's also the parable of the steward, too. Look, I gave you a talent. You came back. You gave me exactly what I gave you. You wicked and lazy slave. You only gave me what I gave you. You did nothing with it. We have a generation where we spent so much time being so dang smart, so well studied, but we don't do anything with it. Come to a Bible study so I can show you how smart I am. Or is it, come to a Bible study and let me teach you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about his saving grace. Let me tell you about his saving power. Let me tell you about the transformation that took place in my life, in the lives of my brethren. That Jesus Christ is real and his salvation is real. And we could say it without fear that say, hey, it begins at faith. It's followed by scriptural baptism. And from there it goes into a lifelong endeavor of serving him. Amen? It is a call for us, brethren, when you read these things and you look at the scripture and it teaches us, listen, God took care of them for 40 years. We just read it, took care of them for 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. Their sandals never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. They, for 40 years, they wandered. 40 years is a long time. But when he brought them into the promised land, all those provisions changed because he brought them to where they needed to be. That generation no longer exists. They were uncircumcised. Joshua had to circumcise them. You do realize, and every one of us, every good Baptist out there knows, what is circumcision? It's a sign of the covenant between Abraham and God, isn't it? Is it not? And his people? God and his people? Correlation to circumcision is baptism in the New Testament. Wait a second. So there were a bunch of unbaptized people that God was still taking care of? Oh, God, that's heretical. They were still his people. Why? Because they were being led improperly. They were being guided. They were actually ships without sails from their, from their father's generation. They didn't know what they were doing. They're merely existing. He says, before you enter in here, take care of this, because I am your God and you are my people, so to speak, right? And that's what he's telling them. We're going to take care of these things. You come in here, but let's take care of this first, because it was a requirement. But you've got a whole generation that did not receive it. Because all the people that would have carried out the act and the responsibility have perished. Sound familiar? The vast majority 
You look at the decline of the churches in the state of California. You look at the decline of churches and you look at it and go, well, it's just a, it's a sign of the times. Bullpucky. I don't believe that. It ain't a sign of the times. That's an easy way of saying it. That's an easy way of copping out. It's that way because we lost sight of what was really important. We lost sight of the importance of spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ, of being visible. I tell you, that's one gift that this coronavirus and this all this quarantine stuff that has given us is it has pushed some of God's churches to the forefront. It's pushed them into a, a way in which you spread the gospel message in a, in a fashion that everybody will know what you preach and teach. Everybody will know. Or you can remain in the shadows, peacefully doing your thing. But you know what? The, go the, 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 the gospel that I see preached in the New Testament from, from Paul to Peter, they weren't afraid. They stood up. They were stoned with stones. They were beaten. They were flogged. Went through great persecutions for the sake of the gospel. See, we're too happy when this generation has been too happy with merely existing. We've been too happy with, I don't want to do that because I don't want to get sued or I'm afraid of what might happen. What, do we not serve the most powerful God? Now, I'm not saying that we should be flippant or, or foolish in our endeavors and some of the things that we do. That's not what I'm saying. But what we should remember is that he is in charge. And it's time for us to awaken. It's time for us to recognize that the Joshua generation is present and amongst us. We have the opportunity to carry out the circumcision. We have the opportunity and we can use this present day and age, these challenges that we've been faced with and all the things that we've been faced with, with this quarantine and all the sickness. Let it be a renewal for all of us to go. No way. We got to redo this. We got to rethink this. Doesn't mean we change our, the tenets of our faith or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you have to change your approach. We have to change our viewpoint. We got to go, what are we doing in this church here locally? What are we doing to set up our next generation? Because if you got a mortgage, if you got a car payment, if you got, if you got some of them grown up responsibilities that are out there, you're in the position to help that next generation. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. In Numbers chapter 13. Another good example. We could sit back and, and think about all the things that the way things used to be, right? And say, oh, man, it used to be great. We used to fill this church house. We used to be able to do all these different things. The past is not our hero, brethren. I refuse to reside in the past. Doesn't mean I don't cherish it. Doesn't mean I haven't been to some great fellowships. Doesn't mean I haven't been around some great people over the years. But if you haven't noticed... They're falling off like flies. So what are we doing to be on the front end of this? What are we doing to be on the front edge of this? 
we should be demonstrating the courage and the power and, and God's power in our lives, spreading the gospel, being active within our own circles and our own communities, being deliberate. And this is one of the things we say, I always talk to people about the Lord. OK, that's great. And we should continue to do that. But what are we doing as an assembly collectively? Because there is absolute power in his body. We are stronger together than we are apart. It's waiting for it to be done on an individual basis is only half the approach. It must be a collective approach for us. We must be in this assembly, in this body, we must be committed to our next generation. We must be committed to empower them. We must be committed to, 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 to let them know that they are our future. That we are going to circumcise their hearts. We are going to, to help them understand what these things mean. We're going to give them the tools. We're going to give them the lessons that we've learned of what not to do. Will they make their own mistakes? I'm not naive. and Hopefully you're not naive. They will make their own mistakes. But you know what? There's one thing I've learned in life. I'm absolutely convinced of this. Listen, if you want to be a bench rider, you can be a bench rider all you want. You understand what I'm talking about? A bench warmer? You can be a bench warmer all you want. And I'm... Actually, pun intended for church services as well. But the people that make differences and make changes in this life are the people that are willing to make mistakes. Peter is a prime example. Some of the most beautiful things that you could read in the Gospels that, that, that Peter did, you look at it and go, wow, Peter was amazing, right? He got out of the boat. He walked on, the, walked on water. He, he did some of the things. That you look at what Peter did. He also denied Christ. Ooh. Listen, you don't get, this is the truth. This is one of the things that you can find in the scripture. You don't get a dynamic Peter who is out on the front edge leading these things without some of the mistakes that he makes. That's how it works. Because bench warmers don't get out of the boat. They don't get off the seat. Peter got up. You say, well, he made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, he did. But he's also got an amazing witness, doesn't he? Paul, same kind of thing. I don't think you get Paul without being Saul first. What do you mean? <laughs> he was a pretty rotten individual, right? But he, pretty vehement in his beliefs. And his conversion was an amazing thing. You look at it and you go, well, look at what he was able to endure. Paul was not a weak man by any stretch of the imagination. God gave him a constitution, I believe, to be able to withstand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I think, 11 or 13, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's 11, where he goes over his list of things that he encountered. It's pretty amazing. In Numbers chapter 13, another example it's correlation for us today is, is in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one of the leaders among you. So Moses sent out them from the, from the wilderness of Paran to the command of the Lord, and all the men were heads of the sons of Israel. And so he, you know, he sent them out, right? And so you got to skip through. You go back and read chapter, chapter 13 for yourself. 
tells them verse 23 and 24, it says, They came to the valley of Eshcol, and from there cut down a branch of a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and figs. Now, that's a lot. That place was called the valley of Eshcol because the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. And it says, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and all the congregations of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh, and they brought back the word of them to the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them, We went into the land where you sent us, and certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is a fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land uh-oh, are strong. Their cities are fortified, very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Wait, wait, what happens? You have the spiritual side of things and the flesh side of things, right? Starting to come up. Wait a minute. Now, he told them to go out spot. He didn't say if it was, if they were capable of doing it. That's, that's, the, that's the funny part, right? He said, not asking if they're capable of doing it. He said, I want you to go out. I've already told you I'm going to give you this land. It's already been told to them, this is yours. The blessing is yours. I've set it aside for you. Go in, go out and spy it out. Let me know what you see. You have two reports. You have one report that it was a great and splendid land. It was flowing with milk and honey, and it looked great. And then you have another report. Oh, no, we can't do that. They're too big. Uh, sons of Anak, you know how big they are? How mighty of warriors they are? We can't do that. The correlation for us today is, look, you know how many people are out there? You know how small of a church that we are? We can't make an impact on these things. Why? Because that's how we look at it. God says, no, 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 no. Don't forget. We're stewards. It's time to go to work. He's, not, he's already told you, I'm going to take care of all that stuff. Right? I just need you to put in the work. I just need you to go spy it out and tell me what you see. Verse 30 says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. We spent so much time, we spent so much time worried about what all these other churches, all these other churches, they do this wrong, they do that wrong, they do all these other kind of things wrong. Meanwhile, we've been a bunch of bench warmers. Allowing everybody else to do all the work. And their witness is greater than ours. Not good. Not good at all. Obviously, we've been making some changes here, which I'm grateful for and, and, and very proud of some of the things that we've done because we understand this. We understand the significance and the importance of going to work, putting in the labor. Bakersfield is a blue-collar town. We know what work looks like. We're not afraid of it. Matter of fact, if you're afraid of working here, you usually get found out. We're a blue-collar town. That's the way it is. And generally speaking, if you're dropping anchor on somebody, you'll hear it. It doesn't go real well. That's because of our blue-collar nature. That's how we are. Caleb says, yes, we can. He says, don't listen to the noise that's going to be out there that says, you can't do it. You're too small of a church. You can't do those kind of things. 
We, you know, we talk about, well, door knocking doesn't work or door hanging and all these other kind of things that we talk about. Listen, I'll tell you right now, something's better than nothing. Amen. And being convinced of us. And see, our next generation, our Joshua generation, will be inspired and will be able to do greater things based upon the things that we show them how to do. We have that responsibility. We have the responsibility to not only tell our kids. See, listen, that, that, and we all amen this and agree this. Look, I can teach you what this stuff says, right? But if I don't live it and I, if I don't show what it means, there's, there's just words written on a page. All of our kids, they, they, we can tell them what it is, but it doesn't take a real smart person to realize, hey, I know you know what that says, but you surely don't do what that, does, that says. And our kids see, see the same thing. You, you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Then why are you mean to me? Why are you a jerk to me? Or why do you treat people like this at work this way, but you treat people like, like this here at home? It's hypocritical, isn't it? Doesn't mean we're perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But hopefully you understand this. Like, those are the actions and those are the things. Is it important to us? Are we Caleb's or are we the other spies? Are we Joshua's? I hope that we're the Joshua generation. I hope that we recognize amongst us currently in this present day and age, we have the Joshua generation. We have somebody that says, listen, where we're at today is by our own doing. You have to take ownership. We as an assembly have to take ownership of our existence in this world today. We have to absolutely take ownership of where we're at today. Because if we don't take that ownership within ourselves, within this assembly, we will fail to miss the opportunities of growth that God has set aside for us. We will miss the blessings that he has, that he has set aside for us. We have to circumcise our own. We have to reacquaint ourselves with what the gospel message was intended to do. There is an absolute, without question, outward focus and intent in his gospel message. There is no question about that. Jesus always had somewhere to go and something to do during his ministry. Did we all remember that? He, he was doing something. And his people were always doing something. Matter of fact, when they weren't doing what they were supposed to do, he sent some mighty man in, in, in the place, Saul, to come up and disperse them. Spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10... We cannot, and I, this, is a, this is an important reminder for all of us, myself included. We cannot allow, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're heading. We cannot allow Israel's mistakes to, there's a couple things that happen. Let me say it this way. What happens is, is sometimes we say, well, they're Jews. So, you know, the, you know, the Jews of the Old Testament or New Testament, you know, eh. Well, one of the things that I've learned through my years of studying the Bible and, and trying to have a more practical approach is a lot of the mistakes that, that the Jews made, yes, they were Jewish, yes, they were Israelites, but the mistakes that they made were human mistakes. They're people mistakes. 
They're people observations that you can look at and you can go, oh, we make the same mistakes. Yeah, because when we, when we label it a Jewish problem or when we label it to old, you know, the old, the way, you know, from a Christian's perspective, you say, well, it's, you know, it's Israelites. They just didn't understand. Or those, those Pharisees, they didn't understand. They were, oh, no, no, no. We're missing the lesson that's provided to us. Because guess what? We can make the same mistakes because they are human mistakes. They're fleshly in a lot of regards. Fleshly mistakes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low, in, laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, right? As some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. And were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did. As they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them. As an example. And they were written for our instruction. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let, them, uh, let him who thinks he stands. Take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you. But such as is common to man. And God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted. Beyond what you're able, but that the temptation will provide the way of escape and that you will be able to endure it. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a, uh, bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing of the body of Christ? Since there is one bread and there are many who are in one body, for we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? He goes on to say all these things. And so you, the point being in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, go back and read the whole chapter when you guys have time, is that he provides us a glimpse and an understanding of the lessons that, we, that, that they have. We have them written down in black and white for us in the word of God, compiled in such a way that it's easy to study and easy to carry with us. Those are lessons given to us, brethren. Those are items provided to us so that we may understand that the problems that they have are the same problems that we have. Listen, it doesn't take much study, much recollection of the certain things that have crept up in our... Listen, there, was, there used to be a dress code amongst us, right? You had to look a certain way. You had to act a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. Sound familiar? Why? Because that's easy. It's flesh. That's all that is, is fleshly. It's a flesh. It's something that we grab onto. Now, are we all going to wear clothes? I hope so, right? <laughs> and I hope they're all decent. <laughs> you know? And I hope that in our own way, we provide the best to God that we can provide him, right? But saying that there's a dress code to get in through those doors, that's fleshly. 
I'm not saying that I'm against standards and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. You understand? Or here's here's the one. Depends on which song book that we sing out of. We, we can divide churches and say, I don't like that song, or I don't like these songs. Now, should we use discretion when picking songs and looking at things? Absolutely, I think. Right? But should we fight over those things? No. Should we fight over the color of the paint on the walls? I know they seem like trivial things. No, but we do. And it takes two to tango, by the way. You can't have a fight if there aren't two parties involved. Understood? There's the offense and the defense, and sometimes they go back and forth. You understand? You understand what I'm saying? There's two sides to that. You can't have a fight if someone ain't willing to, willing to put up a fight. Is it worth it? Are the things that we look at, the, 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 you know, for us, it's, it's not as big of an issue, right? It's, you know, but, but you know, for, for God's people, you look at it from the standpoint, you go, hey, listen, let's focus on the most important things. Let's not get caught up. Let's evaluate some of the things from the Old Testament some, that, that the Israelites failed in and, and succumbed to death by the serpent, by the destroyer, and all the things that were there. And you look at that and you go, you can't, do not simply dismiss those deaths and those things as something that, that they, is, it is particular to just them. Look at them from the human aspect and you go, mm, I could do the same thing. Much is the same when Jesus came in his ministry and in, in, in the time in, in the gospels where you look at it and you go, you know what, he, you know, they, 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 uh, he talks about they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. If you are able, this is a, this is a, a, a good rule and indicator. If you are able to destroy your brother for the sake of your religion, how are you any different than a Pharisee and a Sadducee? How are we any different? That means we haven't learned the lesson. Makes us human. Doesn't make them in, in you know bad people. It just means that you know you're going to answer for those kind of things at some point. But what we have is the ability to control how we do that here. Our focus is on this assembly. Our focus is is on spreading the gospel, being deliberate in our community, right? Within here, it starts within the family and works its way out. Amen? It doesn't end at these four walls. Worst thing we ever did was quantify our existence by membership and attendance. Say, well, I'm on the roll. I'm attending. Well, he didn't call you to a church building. He called you to his body. To the work of service. This is not this is not work. When we gather together, this is not work. Depending on your, you know, who stands before you today, sometimes it's entertaining. This is the preparation for the work. This is the recharging of your batteries or fueling up your motors so that you can go to work. It's essential. It's important. We need it. We've got to have it. But this is to prepare us for the work of service. The equipping of the saints for the work 
of service? That's my job. That's what we're doing here today. This is to give you the ammo. This is to give you the fuel. This is to give you the tools. This is to, to provide you the opportunity, to provide you the inspiration, to provide all of us for, for the, the ability to go out and to be the Christians that God has called us to be. Simply showing up, although it's essential, it's, it's akin to showing up to the training class and never using your training out at work. Believe me, there's a lot of people out there like that. I read a book once. Okay, I've read lots of books. How do you live? How do you demonstrate? How do you apply the knowledge that is found in the word of God? How do you take this and show me that Jesus is real? See, Jesus, Jesus is real by the lives that we live. Not so much the words that we speak, although they're, they're included in there. But the evaluation of people of our lives is found in the lives that we live. How you treat them. When they ask for your help, you show up, you help. When you need something or when they need something, you show up and you give it to them. We're supposed to be a selfless people. Is your hand always out for a handout? Or is it? not capable of doing that because you got a hammer in it because you're working or you got some kind of tool or something that you got in your hand going oh man i don't have time for my hand to be out because i'm busy working putting in the work for the lord because there's plenty of people out there doing this right hand out just 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 help me help me waiting for somebody to help them waiting for someone to give me something you know, I've shared with you guys before, you could either be a fountain or a drain, right? And I didn't coin that. But we need to be fountains and not a drain in our families, in the church. And we have to understand that we have the blessed opportunity and we have the Joshua generation amongst us. We have a call to say, hey, our next generation is going to do better than what we're doing right now. And it starts today. It started yesterday, really. Be inspired, brethren. Understand the power and the ability that we have, not in and of ourselves, but because we serve the almighty God. And his divine inspiration in our lives is real and true. And if sometimes if we're just willing to put the work in, boy, he can do some really amazing things with us. He can take those. Oh, here's a here's a correct application of God is not a God in numbers. We're a small group, right? If we're committed to do God's work, he can do great things with this small group. Oh, I would say that's the more applicable approach. Stop using that as an excuse for your dwindling numbers and the fact that there's no conversions. That's a loser's approach, and we I refuse to be a part of that. I'm on the other side. I think that God, even though our number may be small, God can do amazing things through us and with us. All we got to do is be willing to put the work in. We serve a, 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 a beautiful, wonderful God that gives us a tremendous opportunity and that we all have an integral part in this. We all have responsibility. 
Like I said, if you have a mortgage, if you have a car payment, you're old enough to have those kind of things. You have a responsibility to that next generation. And for those of you young people out there that don't have a license, don't have a car, don't have all those things yet, right? Mortgage, okay? You're still enrolled in school. So you don't have all those things. You're a part of that next generation. At some point, we'll be passing the torch on to you guys and saying, take over. I fully, I fully anticipate that. What that looks like is that we have to understand that God has called us to that. And you say, well, what happens if the Lord returns when he gets back? We won't have to worry about it then, <laughs> right? It's a good thing. So be blessed, brethren. That's all I got for this morning.